this is the podcast for you if you take pride and pleasure when your little ones successfully identify Japanese knotweed while out on your daily walk or reading their school books. You're not alone, my friend. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub with me, Marion Ellis. In this podcast, I'm chatting with Nicola Allen, building surveyor and project manager, about her phenomenal career change, working with her dad and running a small business. Topics I know will resonate with many of you. I'd love to hear your feedback, so please do rate, review and follow the podcast. It really does make a difference to help spread the word about the work we do as surveyors and the difference we make in the world. So welcome to the podcast, Nicola Allen. Hello. Hello there. So I haven't done a podcast for a while and you're my first one that I'm recording. So I'm really excited about this, but also quite disorganized as to where's my mic and my headphones charged up. The room that I record these podcasts in, it's a, it's like a dining room in an old Victorian house and it's not ideal podcast conditions, let me say. But today is particularly not very good because we're having some building work done and I've emptied the cupboard from the kids' toys and you can't see behind me. I feel like I'm sat in Santa's grotto. <laughs> now, uh, given it's July, that's not ideal, but but there you go. So welcome. That's me. How are you, Nicola? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I've uh, been on an early morning call with legals for about two hours, which has been fine. It's been really interesting going through contracts for a few projects that are coming online. So it's just deciding which contracts we're going for. Was it JCT Design and Build or Intermediate? But it's quite nice because the legals went, yeah, no, you're thinking along the right line. So you're just like, phew, I do know what I'm doing sort of thing. You have those moments where you go, I speak to legals and I start to get a bit panicky just before speaking to them. But even though I've worked with them, on previous projects before with the same clients. So the dream team are back together, i.e. myself, um, David, and uh, two other sisters. So it's, it's really good. So they're just about to send their fee proposal through. So I said, could you just take a few notes off? That'd be great. Sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, four interesting projects um, coming online with a, a client that I've worked with before. So exciting times. So when you start talking about contracts and things, being a resi surveyor, that goes way over my head. Yeah. <laughs> but, so tell me a bit about the work that you that you do, because you're in a, a business with your dad, aren't you? Yeah. So um, so I'm a director at a DA Associates Consultancy, so we're building surveying and project management. And my father's been building surveyor for, I'm not even going to put a year on how many years he's been a surveyor. But um, yeah, we're involved in lots of project management, um, sort of commercial building surveying. So we do a lot of work with universities, colleges, do a lot of retail work as well. So a few years ago, we were working with uh, Benson for Beds and Harvey's, but it's now Benson for Beds. And that was, so that was really interesting, quick turnaround in two, terms of like eight weeks contractors turned this shell of a commercial unit into a bed store so it's really it's quite nice at the end of finishing the project because you go around going I really like that bed I like that duvet <laughs> sort of thing even though you're doing the defects sort of list but it's it's been an interesting sort of challenge getting to the position I've been in because 
I was never down to be a building surveyor. I did uh, work experience at 16 with my dad because I thought, oh, being on work experience with my dad, it'd be easy. It'd give me the morning off sort of thing. Uh, it was hard work because at 16, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And careers advice back then was really poor. Oh, you had a career yeah. careers office, didn't you? And you go, the door only gets opened like once in a while and you just kind of dust off the cobwebs and so yeah. forth. Do you, and then, do you know what? Do you know what? I feel really bad for careers advisors because I'm <laughs> sure, you know, they were trained, they've been they've been lots helped lots and lots of people in their careers, but we always remember the bad ones or the ill-advised. Yeah. I mean, I remember being about 14 or 15, my school bought in these what looked like ATM machines at the time, these two machines into the school. And it you had to answer these questions and outprinted this report with like, you know, the hole punches punched down the side and it's an, you know, print, printing it out. And it said that I should either be a Welsh teacher because I'm from North Wales and I was doing Welsh or I should be a geography teacher. And I thought, I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> but I had this printout and I was meant to take it home to my mum and talk to my about my mum about it. And and she and she was just not impressed either because clearly I didn't have any teaching abilities, being quite shy at the time. But that was, you know, that was the careers advice that you had, that you had this printout and there you go. <laughs> exactly. I think I had something similar where you coloured in the boxes like A, B, C or D and then they put it through the machine and then it comes out. One was a nursery teacher... You know, some of them were teaching, which actually does stem now back to where I am currently in my career, doing lecturing and so forth. So, and I just looked at it and went, I don't know what I want to do. Because I think nowadays careers advice is a lot more advanced. It, they get people in, and so for example, the RSCS are quite driven now to bring people into schools to talk about careers. And such a diversity of surveying, it's not just building surveying, it's constant surveying, there's residential surveying and so forth. So there's a lot more diversity in people coming in to speak to students, really, and pupils, because they want to know what you do on a daily basis, not what's in a glossy brochure and so forth. We can sell everything, can't we, in surveying it? Oh, I get lovely projects, etc. But there is, the, you know, the good and the bad sort of with this career. So, um, yeah. And, yeah and, how, and how can you really tell from a brochure, you know, what life is, life is really like? I went to the new uh, new in north wales northeast wales institute it's now uh, glendale university and they had they asked for some photos uh, done from some of the students and my mum's got it at home it's this really cheesy picture of me smiling with a i think it's a map or something that's upside down and it was meant to be to advertise the estate management course and um i think they used it on a nursing program <laughs> in the end this black and white picture of me you just think how 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 do you join the dots you know of uh, and it's interesting now because the clients that I work with and, and and that I coach, they find themselves that they've they've got on a path, they've got stuck in a rut, you know, and how do you change? And I always go back to thinking, you know, when you were, you know, that young age, what did you care about? What did you love doing? You know, and I think my advice for anybody that age would be, yeah, you know, to explore, see what people do, get as much work experience as you can. But, totally but really think, but really think about the things that matter to you, the things that you care about, the stuff that you love doing. God, you've got to have fun in your career and then find ways to make money. But I think, I think, I think now kids have a, a totally different 
view of the world. I mean, hell, we didn't even have mobile phones when I was a kid in that age. So, you know, who knows what's what's gonna what's gonna happen. So after school then and this advice, what, what did you start to do? I sort of 16 did GCSEs. I got, I did, you know, okay GCSEs. I just coasted through. Um, I got a double D for science. Now we'll take that on board, double D. I then, you know, fast forward, ended up doing a degree in radiography and a postgraduate diploma in building surveying, which are all science based. So it goes back to having good teachers, inspiring people in the various subject areas. And I know there's a heavy drive at the moment in the press for getting people to do teacher training and so forth, which is great. I and mean, we need people to encourage and see sort of the gem in various students and pupils. So, yeah, I, I found my old school reports probably a couple of years ago. And my dad said, I think these belong to you, young lady. So hands them over. And I actually got quite upset because I read through them. I coasted through school. It was Nicola could do so much better. There's a lot more in her because I just didn't have the confidence at that such a young age to put myself out there. Now, if you said to myself, like, I'm going to show my age now, 20 years ago when I was like 16, you're going to be sitting doing a podcast or you're going to be presenting at the RCS Fire Safety Conference or you're going to be writing articles. I'd be like, oh, you're joking. And I think there's a lot of big drive for people to go into university straight away or you've got to do a job. You need to feel comfortable in yourself as a person. Oh, absolutely. And, it, yeah. and the thing that I would that I would say to most people, and particularly young surveyors starting out, is do the personal development work. That's the one thing that a lot of companies don't invest in. Yeah. You know, it's all about the CPD. It's all about the technical yeah. stuff. It's all about the next certificate or program or whatever. Yeah. It's almost like a rite of passage, though, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but do the personal development work. I mean, for anybody listening, Lionheart do loads of this stuff for free for our ICS members. So do go and check out some of that. But yeah, things like that make, make a difference. And but it's hard. And, and when you look back now, I mean, I know the RICS does quite a bit, you know, inspiring young, but I always think you've got to go earlier. You've got to go sooner. You've got to go capture them re- when they're young. My daughter, who's six, she says, I want to be a mummy. But what she means is she wants to be me, but she can't pronounce surveyor. <laughs> Not that she necessarily <laughs> wants to have those kids. You know, and but now she's discovered a bit more about what surveying is. She finds it a bit boring. So having to explain a few extra uh, bits and pieces, but start them young, let them know what the word is, yeah. you know, in, t- in terms of surveying. But building that confidence, sometimes you're just ready for it. Yes, exactly. exactly. I think, you know, I only kind of got my confidence when I started at 18 working in the NHS uh, you know, I left uh, sixth form, did GMVQ in health and social care and A-level English. I don't know why I did A-level English. I just thought, oh, yeah, that's fine. Because I didn't have the confidence to go actually to college outside of my sort of school, if that makes sense. Mm. So, I um, you know, I wish I did go to college to do technical drawing, for example, because then that would have given me, inspired me to go to build and survey probably much sooner. So, yeah, at sort of 18, got a job in a you know, radiography department as assistant, you know, I met some amazing people and that made me grow up because I had to talk to such various people at various ages, sort of, and convey that information in a different way to different people, which a lot of people now look at me and go, radiography to building today. I said, there's a transferable skills there. 
I'm not saying that my clients are drunk people on a Friday night or anything like that, but it's just conveying that information across to people in various forms of communication, whether it's diagrams, you know, hand gestures, or just changing the tone of the way you speak to people and so forth. So, yeah. Oh, I think that's fascinating because a lot of those transferable skills, a lot of them can, can come over. And it reminds me of when I started out. So I did my my A-levels for health reasons. I couldn't do my degree straight away. And I did, you know, sort of three, four years of every admin job going, you know, from British yeah. gas booking appointments and services, on the phones for BT, receptionists in different places. I think I once faked that I could touch type, which I can't. You know, I, I did absolutely everything. And it was the best. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a great time either, always being no. out of work. But I built resilience and I learned to talk to different people. And when it came to yet later after I did my degree and I, I got in a graduate program, the one thing I wasn't worried about was talking to people. Yeah. yeah whereas all the other graduates are like, oh, what if the phone rings? Yeah. I was like, you yeah, just answer it. Exactly. Um, but, but I see I see that a lot now with, with surveyors who perhaps sort of haven't had that experience or that path. And they're very nervous of talking to clients. Yeah. You know, and, and handling objections or dealing with questions, you know, and, and that's a shame. It, it is. Um, I, I'm grateful for the years I spent in the NHS. They sent me off to university to do my degree. So I left uni with no debt. So I was the golden child out of me and my brother sort of thing. And I got a job guaranteed as a radio first. So as soon as I left uni, I was got a job. And I'm glad I did it, met some interesting people. I learned a lot about myself as how I like to learn. I'm more of a practical person. I'm not sort of someone who sits and reads masses and masses of books, whereas my brother can sort of things. It's totally different. I'm more of a yeah, hands-on, do it and learn it. So I wish in some respects they had an apprenticeship programme for surveying back then because I would have probably done that route. So that's why I've been involved in a lot of the RCS and sort of mentoring as well and involved in the RCS associate assessments as well recently. So, yeah, from that point, it was my oyster. So how did you then decide, hmm, maybe I'll just try building surveying? How did that jump happen then? So that jump happened in 2012. So it was during the recession, wasn't it, in 2012? And everybody's like, you're bonkers doing that, you're mad. And at the time, I had a health issue where I had to have a lump removed from my neck and they thought it was cancerous. So, and I saw on my notes on my hospital bed, reason for surgery, worked in radiology over 10 years. And I went, oh, okay, that's quite concerning. And also, uh, you know, a death of a close family member as well. And I couldn't get to see them. And I was just like, this work-life balance isn't great at all. And also my dad was doing his expert witness with the RCS. So it was just like, yeah, why don't you try to do a bit of legal, like do conveyancing? So in the last year of being a radiographer, I did some conveyancing courses because I thought, oh, that'd be really interesting. And again, I didn't take it further with conveyancing, but some of the skills I learned from there, reading title deeds, knowing what easements are and so forth, has transferred now into building surveying. And then after sort of a year of leaving the NHS, he's just like, what do you want to come and work with me? I was just like yeah, let's do it sort of thing. And I've not looked back since really. Everybody's like, oh, is it weird working with your dad? No, it's not. I just see him as another colleague. And when we're working together, I go, oh, you know, this is Dave or David. And I've had a couple of times that clients went, oh, I didn't realise you two were related, which is really nice. But I had that added pressure 
of doing building surveying, am I going to be as good as my dad? You know, that added pressure because everybody goes, oh, what's it like being a female being a building surveyor? For me, I've not had any sort of barriers or anything of that sort, but I gave myself the added pressure. Am I going to be as good as him? So that was kind of like, ooh, quite difficult. But then he said, go and do university, go to the University of West of England, do it one day a week, your postgraduate diploma, and then go from there. And I'm glad I did it one day a week at uni. It was a face-to-face contact with lecturing staff and actually other peers as well going through the same career change as well. So we were all in it together. I'm still in contact with a few of them now. Um, Rachel, who works at the National Trust, she phones me off about contract and admin. I speak to her about conservation and so forth. So we're still all together. We've gone on that journey and we're still carrying on that journey as surveyors. That's really interesting because what I'm hearing from you is you've grown and got this sort of level of maturity. Definitely. As, as you've gone through your career, you've picked up lots of skills yeah. And so actually, it's no surprise you're in the right place Yeah, right now. You know, it's it, like, we talk about that, that journey, but, but that's where you are. Yeah. And I, I always say to people as well, if you want to make that career change, do it. So I think, I'm, you know, there was that moment in 2012, I'm like, oh, is this really good time? And I thought to myself, if I don't do it, I'll never do it. And I don't want to sit there and regret five years later saying, I wish I did it. So I got it, and I always say to people, if you want to change, change it. It'd be for the better, and don't be afraid to change as well. Yes, it's going to be difficult starting at the bottom of the ladder, so to speak, but you will get there. And then that's what I want to try and inspire people to do to check, make you know create changes. Everybody's had like furlough, so everybody's had time to think about things. So now's the perfect time to retrain, really. I'm not sponsored by any universities at whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about what it's like working. Yeah, you, you mentioned your dad, and I think that's how I came across you. You'd you'd posted this picture of 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 you and your dad out on site, and I loved it. I don't know. There's just something very human about the fact that you know there are small businesses, and I know lots of small businesses who have you know families working together yeah. and, and and things, and it's much more common common than you think. And it's a great way for people to get experience and to start working, you know, where we're inspired by role models and our role models start as at the start of our parents. So that's no, that's no surprise. But it was a really lovely, lovely picture on LinkedIn. It it was, um, we were on site, I think it's probably the third or fourth time we met up with each other since, you know, lockdown started to sort of ease because, you know, my father lives in Gloucestershire, I live in the West Midlands, so I hadn't seen him. All it was was on Teams for work and so forth. And um, yeah, we were in Staines, Glamour Staines. I even treated him to a uh, breakfast from a fast food chain sort of thing in the car park. And I said, right, let's go to site. And I went, let's take a picture of us together. And I put it on LinkedIn and I didn't realise it was going to get such a momentum and so many comments. And it was like, oh, you know, good old Dave. And I was like, I said to my dad, I said, sorry, are you just jumping on the bandwagon here? This is not your fan page. Um, so we, um, yeah, and we work, we bounce off each other really well. He knows how I work. He's got vast technical knowledge because he worked as an architectural technician at Birmingham City Council when he was, you know, really young. And he's worked his way up through the ranks doing, you know, HNC and HND and so forth. And then he did his postgraduate diploma building surveying whilst well it's actually surveying at um UCEM 
So he did his um, distance learning. So he, that's why he pushed me to kind of do the sort of one day a week at uni because he still felt that was probably better for me. Mm. And um, it was interesting going back on results day when I got my results. He was just saying to me in the office, it's okay, Nick, just get a pass. Just get a pass. That's all you need. Results came up and I was like, refresh, refresh. I went, you say just get a pass? And he went, yeah. And I actually started kind of getting a bit upset and crying. He thought I just thought I failed something. I was like, I've got a merit. So then I started to do this really weird dance across the office sort of thing, <laughs> going, I've got better than you. What's going on? <laughs> and I think that's when I realized like you're as equal as each other, sort of thing. And that's when the pressure of me being as good as him kind of subsided. So I'm very much sort of a contract mind and he is as well because of doing expert witness and I'm more of a sort of design so I've got a project where I'm going to be doing design and it's like you just do your arty farty stuff sort of thing I said it's a little bit more technical than that <laughs> so um yeah and we do bounce so I'd love to sort of plug him into a computer and just download everything oh, in his mind yeah wouldn't, yeah wouldn't we just and, and I think in the post you describe him as Yoda yeah and it reminded me there was a guy that I used to work with uh, when I was a a practicing surveyor down in Croydon a guy called Adrian Curtis and we used to call him the oracle yes he he just knew everything and yeah and I remember it's a bit like there's a scene in the matrix where um Keanu Reeves he like plugs something into his brain and he just says I know kung fu (laughs) and I think I wish I knew that you know someone did that and I could say I know all about asbestos materials. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's just, just you know. download all their but knowledge. But, it, but it's interesting, that imposter syndrome, you know, and yeah. I don't think it's, you know, I mean, you'll have a unique pressures sort of in a, a father-daughter-son relationship. Yeah. But it's the same, actually, when you work in an office and you've got people who are really, really experienced and you can't replicate that because it's mm. it's earned and it's lived. It's not just yeah. collecting the, the certificates. And then you've got someone who's really young and keen and it's about capability yeah. you know it's sort of being more than capable to do it you just haven't learned it yet yeah and it's that power of yet that sort of gross mindsets of knowing that I will get there but also I'll get there in my own way because I think exactly. sometimes we can we you know the thing with role models is we think oh we need to be like them and we need to same with mentors you know we think that's what we need to to learn and do and yes there's a degree of that but mostly we need to learn to be our own surveyor. Yes. And that, I think that's when I, re- I realised when I've done postgraduate, I went, yes, I can do it. And it's when a client said to us about projects and he was like, oh, I want Nick to run that project. And I looked across to my dad and went, please don't write me out the will. Sort of thing, because I just didn't want it, because I was like, please don't hate me. But it's when, that's when the client went, no, I want Nick to run that project. You know, you know how it's going to go. Um, yes, go for it, which was nice for you. And I think that's, you will still all develop on a daily basis. And I would say to people, you'll never find a surveyor who knows everything. Mm. Everybody's got their own unique sort of DNA in surveying in terms of their knowledge base. So um, I used to say to students um, when I taught at um, Birmingham City University, I said, you will never meet surveyors who know everything. Just utilise it, get to know people, and then you can pull you know, their knowledge. Yeah, and that's it. It's about it's about connections, the people yeah. you know, and signposting. And, yeah. and you know, our brains aren't designed to hold all of that information, no. but it's about knowing where to go, knowing 
you know, who to ask, knowing the suspicion and the sign, and then obviously following the trail. Yeah. You know, we're not meant to be encyclopedias who know all of the different building regs out there, but, you know, it's that, that's that's not what it's about, you know. No, it's also knowing where to look for information as well. And that's why I kind of, now I've got into involved in teaching, and that's why I had that great opportunity at Birmingham City University to be involved. And it's actually the start of the pandemic. So I started in January 2020, just two days a week. Um, one of them was... So, so, yeah, so how did that come about? Um, so one of the sort of key academics at Birmingham City University taught me at University of West of England. And I think I put something on LinkedIn about being involved in associate assessments with the RCS. So I just completed my training and, and so forth. And um, it was like, oh, do you want to have a quick chat sort of thing? And went down had a look at the modules that they were doing that semester. Like, would you be interested in, you know, helping out on these? I was like, yeah. One of the modules was about material science. Now, if we take it back to the beginning of this podcast, I got a double D in science. And there's me stood in front of first years at Birmingham City University teaching about light and the different materials involved, you know, sound, etc. And it made me realise I do know it. It's just applying that knowledge in every day or within teaching. So the pandemic hit, so everything had to go all online teaching. And some students were like, oh, this is going to be hard. I said, this is how life is going to be for a lot of us. And I met some really brilliant students, really inspiring, really interesting. And I hope they got a lot out of me because being in practice as well as being involved in the teaching elements. And for me, teaching made me realise I know what I do, what I need to improve on. Um, as a person going forward. And then now I'm just involved with UCEM doing uh, marking on some of their modules. So I've just got another five assignments to mark, really. So it's tell been me, good fun. Yeah, tell me about um, about your business, because we get a lot of people listening to the podcast who work for themselves or yeah. want to set up in their business. So how, how big is your practice then? So you said so the, you and your dad. So at the moment, uh, myself and my dad, and then occasionally we work with some other smaller sort of practices, so QSs on certain jobs. So we've got a couple that we work with up in the West Midlands. I'm not going to mention their names because I'll get they'll ask for more money. Um, but we do work with, and I think as work starts to pick up even more, we start to look to bring on more people and more staff. Because we did have the business before, it was Dave Down Associates and then we had a really good sort of five six plus years of just working you know solidly flat out and then I got the opportunity to go and work for a larger global consultancy and I thought I need to try and work for a larger consultancy to experience what it's like with a large consultancy and so I of course left the business with my father you know my dad and then he also joined this large consultancy as well and both of us went no actually we like working in a smaller consultancy I I'm not disputing it's what I, I learned a lot from a lot of people it was interesting dynamics but I'm sort of a person who likes to deal with the project from start to finish because that's who the client sees mm. from you know inception all the way to the end so unfortunately large consultancies there was a bit of dipping in and out and that didn't flow very well for clients for me personally yeah that's that's very interesting and quite unique experience actually because a lot of people who work for corporates or, or global firms 
tend to leave and work for themselves, but you don't really see it very often the other way around. Yeah. You know, where people decide to move in. I mean, there'll be a few people who, you know, who, who flit and, and slot between the two, but you rarely see that. Yeah. And it's interesting, the whole the whole mindset piece of, you know, why do you want to work for yourself and those things. And and often I find that when you're working for a, a larger firm, there's generally nobody there who's worked for themselves. Or if yeah. they have, they've just had a really bad experience. And so nobody's talking about the positive aspects of working for yourself. And there tends to be a, ooh, you don't want to work for yourself. That sounds terrible. Think of the PI, think of this, think yeah. of the muscle, et cetera. But actually it can be a really good experience, but no, you're not in that culture, not in that environment. And so it's really important for people who are interested mm. in exploring that to immerse themselves in it to go out and find those small mm. firms by get connected listen to podcasts things like this yeah you know and really immerse themselves into it and, and just get curious about why are you interested what is it yeah it, it, it was interesting because I met somebody in this larger consultancy and the comments they made to me was oh you smaller businesses undercut us on fees and I stood there and I went, pardon? It's not quite the case, actually. I think this person now is probably regretting saying that they've now done a bit of masters in business. So they probably realise you don't undercut at all, actually. Sometimes our fees may be slightly higher because we haven't got the opportunity to just disperse fees across, you know, a selection of individuals. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we're still a smaller a company, a small business. We still, like you said, the PI, corporation tax, BAT. I always say if you're going to have a small business, have a really good accountant who could advise you the best route to sort of, yes, buy the first, I know it sounds trivial, buy the photocopier instead of leasing it. Though I know it sounds so trivial, but it's true. Having someone just giving that little bit of advice in terms of, you do have to put a lot of money in to start yourself up. It's all investment, isn't it? It's it is. investment in it. And, and you're right about the, the accountant. It's having almost having your own mini financial finance director. Yes. You know, and, and that can make a make a difference. And and if you think about your, your business, I mean, do you have admin support? No, um, at the moment we don't. We're out uh, wow. admin. So a couple of times uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've gone, I really wish someone could just put those photos in that sort of report for me and I can just type the report up. But I think it's good to be able to do most things because I'm what strong believing. Don't ask someone to do something if you're not willing to do it yourself. Yeah, I agree with that. But there is an element of you're a very expensive administrator if you're yes. spending an hour putting photos in a mm. in a report. And it's thinking about the best person for the job. And this is something that comes up a lot in the coaching that I do with, with small businesses: is when is it right to outsource or delegate? tasks and it's an element of it's control I need to know what's going on but also worry and, and fear and and, and, all, and all of those things around it but ultimately you know you wouldn't get an electrician to do a plumber's job or vice versa no you know you'd get the right people in to do the right job and if that frees you up to earn more money to actually have more time to do your own things yeah. work-life balance and all of those things and to help things run smoothly it's about thinking about it as like a, an engine room and having all the right spindles and yeah. nuts and bolts and, and things in uh, in the right place. And, and I guess it's, you know, it's outsource and delegate. And delegate is telling somebody what you want them to do. And very often people might get VA in for a couple of hours, but they've not made, because they haven't been very good at their processes and not very good at communicating what they want. 
it doesn't work. Whereas if you outsource it and say the goal here is to make sure that every client has terms agreed, payments in before I go out, tidy up the report when it's done, archive it, et cetera, you know, that's the goal. Then they will work it out. It's treating those people as as the experts they're in, just like we would. Yes, definitely. Expect it to. But, you know, how, how has um, sort of lockdown been for you then, the whole period? Were you able to work? Did you not work? So we, we had little sort of projects running through, but we took the opportunity to sort of really reassess where we want to go when we come out of lockdown. So um, we participated in doing a five-day course on fire risk assessments, which was great. That inspired me to sort of do a couple of articles on LinkedIn about post-COVID and fire, sort of careful where you put your barriers, where you put your sanitizer, store it. It sounds so trivial, but it was just a quick sort of five-minute article for people to read on LinkedIn. Just consider those options. Don't put your screens right up underneath the smoke detectors or the fire detectors. Mm. And it was a bit of a sense check, really, and for me and for other people reading it. So um, that's allowed us now to do fire risk assessments. Now we've come out of lockdown because we've undertaken the, the course um so sort of day uh, my dad's sort of uh, doing the rcs cladding course for fire as well he's just got his assessment coming up so it, that's been nice as a bolt on as well with fire risk assessment oh how, how do you feel about doing that kind of work because it's quite sensitive socially sensitive at the at the moment it but is, it's also yeah. quite risky so when you talk about fire risk assessments and cladding you know there's alarm bells going off for a lot of people uh, listening to this, word, thinking, thinking, no chance, mate. Yeah, no. Um, so there has been discussions regarding the PI with um, the course that my dad's doing. Mm. And I think there's going to be a separate PI cover once it's passed the assessment, which I think the government are involved with as well, because yeah. there's been a government push for this. So there's going to be the PI for the fireside and then the standard PI with you know, the standard building surveying sort of consultancy mm. side. For me, I know my limitations. I will never get involved in the cladding, whereas my dad is MRSCS, so he's got the knowledge and experience and he's done the course. And touch wood, he'll pass the assessment. <laughs> so, um, so that is just going, and we have thought about it in terms of the PI. I think that's been the massive issue with consultancy going forward is how are we going to get covered under PI? Because at the moment, I got my diary now in November. It's the word PI at the beginning of November. This is where we start to sort out the forms for the PI cover to start in January next year. And a lot of PI brokers are coming back with different clauses. And I'm looking at them going, so actually, the way I read that is you're telling me I can't specify a fire door if I'm doing a refurbishment when we've got the technical skills and knowledge so it's um I'm learning a lot more about that because I'm getting involved in more of that now. And I just go, okay, we just need to kind of have a bit of a sense check, really. And I've been watching the Grenfell inquiry quite a lot, as well as part of my CPD, just to understand things a little bit more and how things came about. For example, the project manager, the client project manager. I remember watching, I think it was on the Monday, and the QC went. To the project manager, do you know what these are? And it was a big pile of books and notebooks. And she went, oh, those are notebooks. And he said, well, where, where are your notebooks? She went, I took, I basically discarded them. 
And I went, oh. So, and now we do all that. Well, I'm starting to do mine all electronically now. As soon as I do my notes, they are then put into the cloud on that project folder. So I won't lose notebooks or anything. It's, it's, it's um, a- yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, just jumping back, you said there about knowing your boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely critical. When I was, I used to interview on the APC panels. And the one thing that I would look for is confidence versus arrogance. Oh, yes. Do you know your boundaries? And I would rather have someone who would say, I will check with, or this is what I would do, or, you know, because it it just shows that, that, that maturity, you know, yes, you you can urge into self-doubt and it's an absolute fine line in a, in a short interview, but those are the things that, that I always look for. And even now in surveys, all my years of dealing with defect and valuation claims, do you know your boundaries? And that's absolutely massive. And you're saying they're just about the notebooks. You know, actually a lot, yeah. of, a lot of surveyors do keep paper copies of everything. Yeah. And that's fine. But the fact is, if your business is well run, and by that I mean having systems, procedures, processes, and that's not necessarily yeah. about tech, but it's having, if you write something on paper, you have the notebooks, you have a process for storing it, making sure it's safe, preserving yeah. it, all of those things. Then if you do get a claim or there is a problem, it is less likely to be more complex and you're more likely to be able to defend it because you've got something, be it a scrap of paper or or not, you've got something as as a starting point. And so for surveyors, when it comes to claims, we can worry about the judgment calls that we need to make and whether we specified the right fire door or not, but never underestimate that what it takes to run a business and making sure yeah. you've got all of those things in place. And that's where, do you know what, when your business gets to a size, that's when you need to outsource it and get some yeah. admin help. You know, these yeah, people are absolutely vital for it. So I agree. It's in terms of writing up minutes from a meeting. We all, we've all sat there, haven't we? Just going, oh, who said that? Who said that? And so forth. So now, you know, we're going to try a new method of getting the minutes out quicker. To Again, it's just a record-keeping process for any project and also for it checklist for things to do for um, professionals so as a small business then through through lockdown it sounded like you did lots of different training and it, it was we we re-established our business in january 2020 and we went into lockdown march 2020 so that was probably the worst time but you know we got into office and then we've now switched now to a virtual office following lockdown because we just sat there probably Six months ago, seven months ago, I went, do we really need an office? We can do it all from home now. And when projects start on site, we're going to be out on site and working from home. Do we need it? So, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? The dynamic, particularly when you work on projects, Mm. because there is a point where you do all need to be in the room, you know, and there's only so much that you can do on a Zoom or a Teams yeah. you know, online call, you do need to be in the room with people. And I remember years ago, there used to be adverts for, I can't remember if it was BT or EasyJet. And it was, there was a, a deal to be done overseas, you know, and somebody was making the deal by telephone and someone just hopped on a plane and got there, you know, and, and I, can't, I can't remember <laughs> who it was for or, or who, who who won the deal in the end, but there was a dig at each other. But there is, I think now more than ever, we know we do need to be to be in the room because there's lots of things like body language. Oh, the, yeah. The, the creativity and brainstorming that, that happens, you know, yeah. the creative spaces that we need to problem solve. 
how are we going to get over this? What else can we do? And there's something about being in the room that will really, you know, really help us. I, I agree. So we we met our clients last week, drove up to their site and their campus, and um, it was just nice to see the client face to face, even though we had talks, you know, via Teams and so forth. I was just like, oh, a human being. And I do agree, you need that creativity side of things just to have, you know, a, a Revit model up on the big screen where everybody can talk about it and go, okay, we've got clashes with steelwork. Because, yes, you're right, communication online is very limited. Uh, it's a bit like an email, for example. Mm. You could type something in an email, but somebody may misinterpret the tone of that email because the way it's being structured in the sentence whereas if you speak to that person it may not sound aggressive at all so I, I do agree we do need to have but it's having that fine balance in terms of cost and resources as well for people oh, to make you know oh, value the money yeah yeah oh absolutely I think lots of people have had to really look at the budget where the spend is yeah. but also work out what's important to them and if you can do something that's in a meeting on site somewhere, yeah. you know, then that's going to be better hands down, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I'm now trialing where all our drawings are on an iPad and we're on site. And if we see anything on site, we just get our, you know, pen right across it, you know, it's, mm. you know, issue here, not having the whole printed pieces of paper out of back, you know, those good old bringing out the A3 plus sort of drawings and going, where am I? So we try, you know, I think this has been an opportunity to trial new things to see if they work. Again, if you don't try, you don't know if they're going to work or not. So I'm trying the whole iPad, writing things out on whereas you know, my dad might be old school, still uses pads. So I'm just trying to see if it works for us really going forward as a business. So what things have worked and what things are you absolutely keeping old school? I must admit, there's occasion. I've still got next to me right now the good old notebook because occasionally I still go, oh, what do I go first? Do I go for the paper or the? <laughs> so again, that's a, a developing thing. Um, changing wise, I think not going to site as many times. So the clients I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'd worked with this client for about six years and was involved in quite a lot of their campus master planning, and I was going up every week and bear in mind I was traveling from at the time from Gloucestershire to Cheshire once a week a that's not very good for the environment b I ended up running from site to site to site meetings when actually I could have condensed them done them online for example and only gone up like once every two weeks so that's something we're going to look at more now but still like we said earlier that face-to-face contact every two weeks or every once a month because you could show someone on an iPad, oh, there's the defect. But as surveyors, we like to poke things, don't we, and see how <laughs> things work. And um, you know, oh yeah, that paint's flaking. Whereas you can't see that on a well, it's a video. very sensory, isn't it? Oh yes, it's very, it's very sensory. You walk into a building and and you can smell it, you can breathe it, you can feel it. Yes, you know, and there's there's nothing better or worse <laughs> than that depending on the building that you're in exactly I, i've had great discussions with people about using drones for example for roof surveys yeah now i think great idea because you get that overall of the roof but i said yeah but surveyors like to like touch the roof you know <laughs> tiles see if it's loose a drone can't see if it's loose 
but as surveyors, we can go, oh, there's no nail missing there. Oh, it's moving. So it's kind of trying to find that happy medium, isn't it, with technology versus the traditional surveying sort of senses. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see over the the next few years, you know, what sticks, what doesn't. Yes. What we've learned about the way that we we work and also what some of the the risks are because whenever you have any major change you're more likely to see spikes you know I mean I I remember years ago when tablet technology first came in you know for surveyors when actually and there was a bit of a, a spike in complaints because everyone was concentrating on you know where's the on button and how do I use this (laughs) <laughs> this yeah. angle technology rather than concentrating on the actual job at hand and so we've got to be kind to ourselves and give ourselves time to adapt to um to different things but it'll be interesting to see what comes out but nicola it's been really good to talk to you today thank you thank so you much. thank you so much it's quite nice to be involved with the likes of nicholas isaac and you know samantha organ so uh, yeah it's a uh, nice to be involved you make, you make- you make this podcast sound like it's amazing. It is. <laughs> I'm with uh, the Hall of Fame of famous people. Um, it's the way forward. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting <laughs> and definitely, but uh, hopefully um, it's inspired or you know intrigues people to consider surveying, even if it's not their first career. I'm sure it has. And Nicola, yeah. you'll be giving out um, autographs soon, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it's say I was going to get some stuffed toys of myself. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure some design team members would love a stuffed toy of me. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right, then, Nicola. <laughs> lovely to speak to you anyway. And thank you yeah, very much you. for the time. Oh, you're very welcome. for listening if you haven't already you can sign up to hear the latest survey hub news by joining the mailing list at lovesurveying.com and don't forget to leave me some feedback and let me know your key takeaways from today's podcast next time i'm speaking with jeff hunt one of our facebook group admins amongst other things how he developed the defects timeline i'll see you then